What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with another Team Look Ahead podcast. We are on to the Atlanta Hawks. Lauren L. Williams does a fantastic job covering the Atlanta Hawks. Follow her on Twitter at Williams Lauren L. Spelled exactly as it sounds. We had a great conversation. We cover everything about the Hawks up and down, even sideways, maybe even a little bit of diagonals. It was a fantastic conversation. I strongly encourage you to listen to the whole thing. Very quickly, please remember to subscribe to this podcast permanently if this is your first time checking us out. Ratings and reviews on Apple and Spotify help us out a ton. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, even if you're consuming this via a podcast player and only using the audio. I do post video clips of every episode up along with some YouTube exclusives. Follow us on all the socials as well. The links to that are in the podcast description. And also come hang out in Discord. Community is very fun um, and informative and insightful uh, there. The link to that is in the podcast description as well. If you've done all these things, again, downloading every episode, subscribing to us, that's the biggest thing. If you've done all those things, uh, I appreciate anyone who bumps our Twitter promos, um, who shouts us out on Twitter, and I will engage with you if you do uh, tag us on Twitter or clip us on Twitter, whatever you want to do with that. It's much appreciated. Love you all. Let's get to lots and lots and lots of Atlanta Hawks talk, though, with Lauren L. Williams. Lauren, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the Hardwood Knox podcast, your first time appearing. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm grateful that you didn't say no, didn't poke around and see <laughs> how bad the content is. We're like, you know what? I'm going to make the smart decision and pass. Uh, how the most important question I'll ask on this podcast, how the heck are you doing? You know, I'm I'm doing all right. It's been quite a week in the NBA. I'm sure everybody has been like, when will the season start so we can get past all of this off-season drama? But other than that, I I mean, everything's good on my end. How are you doing? I am spectacular, but 100% with you on this off-season being like all sorts of weird. I did not have to start, you know, a new job like you did with the <laughs> AGC covering a new team amid all of it, but just... I thought it was the f- the first real off season we had in a couple of years. I was like, oh, maybe teams and players are going to want to take it easy. Like they haven't had this break in a while. And it was mm-hmm. just, there was a small dead period. But like, even as we're recording this today, like there's just this Bojan Bogdanovich trade to the Detroit Pistons, mm-hmm. which is just like, just so random and bizarre. And there's all the other storylines that have still yet to be, uh, you know, resolved yeah. looking at like the Lakers. I don't want to talk about mm-hmm. anything with the Lakers. So I'm just waiting for Russell Westbrook <laughs> to get sent oh, somewhere but i'm so i'm totally with you that this offseason was a little bit busier even mm-hmm. in terms of just speculation and of course the nets imploding as per usual than i than i actually expected yeah i i think i was personally surprised that kevin durant and Kyrie decided that they were going to go back and try and run things back especially all of the noise that they made about wanting trades and everything to happen but i mean I'm I'm kind of happy that they did. I'm kind of happy that they didn't make any more splashes because we've seen a lot of splashes this offseason as it is. I don't know how many more I could take. Uh, but I think the fact that this East Con- Eastern Conference is going to be so competitive, it's so compelling. I'm so excited to see how this unfolds. And of course, we're here to talk about the Hawks and where they might fit into all of that. So yeah, I mean... It's going to be a really fun season, really interesting. And I mean, we haven't even gotten to the idea of what might happen when the trade deadline comes in February. I mean, can, I, I, I don't even know. It's, it's the NBA. <laughs> yeah, there's I know some people think transactions are cringy, but the offseason kind of reminds you how just like germane they are to the NBA yeah, operating. Exactly. I will say selfishly, 
I wish the Nets blew it up because this bleeds into this <laughs> podcast. It would have made yeah. the East just like a little bit easier to figure out. And like the Hawks are just one of those teams that I've been agonizing over. Yes. And they wasted no time. Uh, when when you started this gig, you said in June, they acquired mm -hmm. DeJounte Murray. Mm -hmm. And so now that we're more than two months away from that, I was just curious to know, like, what were your general thoughts on how much they ended up giving up for him, especially with the Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell trades in the, the rear view? Yeah, I at first was absolutely flabbergasted that they were willing to part with two unprotected first round picks and then obviously they do have a, a protected first round pick that they gave up I wasn't surprised that they were going to part with Bal uh, Danilo Gallinari just because he was an, an, on an expiring contract and you know they're trying to move numbers around to make things work especially since they have you know so much money on the books that they still owe to John Collins Trey Young Clint Capella I mean Bogdan Bogdanovich. I mean, there's just so much money that they <laughs> have spent so far. So it wasn't surprising to me that they decided that they wanted to move on from Gallinari, especially because he's on the older end of things. And so this is a team that's young and um, they're looking to really make that push for the playoffs. So I was a little flabbergasted by the picks part. But then when we saw the Rudy Gobert trade and how much he commanded, when we saw the Donovan Mitchell trade, he commanded I mean, I thought at first, I mean, maybe it's not as comparable, but when you think about what DeJounte Murray is going to give this team, he gives them another superstar. He gives them another guy who is an all-star. He adds a lot of defensive presence uh, on the court with Trey Young. And the fact that he's going to be a leader on this team, of course, it makes sense that they're willing to kind of, I like to say, mortgage their future a little bit to right. take a chance on this guy. But you know, I think he's just going to add so much. I mean, I already mentioned defense. He's going to be one of those guys that they look to to help lead the young guys and bring them along defensively, especially as they're trying to shift their defensive identity. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on the opportunity cost, too, because it's just like they didn't give up any long term player equity in this. And so you mm -hmm. have to replace that with something and that would be mm -hmm. draft assets. And then I go back and I, you know, I think Mitchell and Gobert are both significantly better than Murray, mm -hmm. but I'm like, you look at what the Cavs gave up for Mitchell specifically. I'm fine with what the Hawks did. And I will say Atlanta's a very good, like it's a bigger, it's more of a glamour market to me than people give it credit, but I want to see agree. teams that are not a flagship, Los Angeles, Chicago, mm -hmm. New York. I want to see those teams make these moves. And mm -hmm. so I was in full support of it. I also am enthralled by the, the defense that DeJounte Murray brings to a team that was pretty atrocious on the oh, set for some like worst in yeah. the league. <laughs> right. And there were some stretches where it was like, you go back and look, Oh, they were like seventh for 12 games or something. It was like, mm -hmm. no, that was all noise. It had to be luck. Uh, they were just bad. And so what, yeah. what do you actually, what, what do you think this team is most excited about that he brings defensively or how do you see Murray impacting their, their defense the most? I honestly think, I mean, I don't think you can really, underestimate how much somebody's attitude toward defense can really change the way a team looks at it. I mean, this is a guy that they like to say is a dog on the court. I mean, he averaged what two steals per game. Um, yes. Sometimes, you know, you, you see him reaching a little bit, but the fact that he's somebody who's going to go after it, I think will rub off on the rest of the team. And that's something that they need. I mean, they already mandated that the rest of the guys on this roster get better defensively. They've tasked Onyeka Okongwu with being a better guy on the defensive boards. I mean, you have a guy like Clint Capella who's kind of there, but you need the rest of the team to get better. And if you have a guy who is willing to go out there, dive on the floor, deflect balls, I mean, I think he 
uh, was second in the league or third in the league in deflect in deflections. So I think the fact that you have somebody who can impact the game this much on that end of the, of the ball, it's going to rub off on the rest of the guys. I think it's going to take pressure off of Trey young to, you know, try and be defensive. Um, and I think it's just going to kind of bolster the rest of this team with Deandre Hunter, John Collins. And as I mentioned, Clint Capella, I almost think, and I would echo everything that you said. Uh, mm-hmm. I almost think that one of the biggest benefits to having him is that it doesn't saddle DeAndre Hunter with being someone I really don't think that he is. And there was like a point before he got injured in year two where I was like, oh, maybe he's that guy on defense and he has more on offense. I'm just not mm-hmm. there anymore. And so I think that having that trickle down effect that you sort of mentioned, and if Clint Capella is healthy for mm-hmm. the entire year, uh, there are some really interesting lineups, even with Trey Young, that you can roll out and expect to be pretty good defensively i've actually yeah. been more concerned about the offensive fit between yes. trey and murray yeah. and i'm just curious on two fronts where you stand with should we expect trey young to be off the ball more and maybe flying around screens or even camping mm-hmm. out behind the three-point line and do you think that's a role he is capable of filling and then two mm-hmm. would be should we expect to see nate mcmillan just stagger these two guys a ton so to answer your second question first I definitely think we're going to see them being staggered a bit more. I think they both add such different talents as primary ball handlers that the Hawks are definitely going to want to take advantage of that, especially because of Murray's ability to attack the rim so much. I mean, they they don't have as many shooters as they did last year per se, but the fact that he can split defenses, he's not afraid to dive, drive into contact and all of those things that you know made him an all-star this past season – Uh, they're going to want to tap into that more. Now, I think they're going to kind of want to do a little bit of a a co-ball handling situation when they are on the floor together. And I don't see anything necessarily wrong with that, just because you also have DeAndre Hunter and John Collins, who do have the capability to knock shots down from three. And you can kind of lean on them a little bit more to do that. And then also they can really utilize Clint Capella's capabilities in the pick and roll a little bit more I mean both Trey Young and 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 DeJounte I believe were in like the top 20 as pick and roll ball handlers so I I mean I think that there's a lot of capability that they can rely on and I think the fact that Trey and DeJounte both will command a lot of defenders to kind of fly toward them will take a lot of pressure off of the other guys in the starting five I think I'm probably just most concerned with like if the idea is you have to take the ball to Trey Young's hand some more to make this mm-hmm. work I probably don't love it just because I like yeah. the idea of having uh Trey Young on the ball but do you think he's he does get looped into sort of the James Harden and Luka Doncic conversations where it's well what can these guys actually do off the ball do you think there's mm-hmm. more to him there just because of what we know about him as a shooter or do, or do you think it's maybe even tough to scale the shooting that he brings to kind of away from the ball where is this someone who can fly around screens or he's going to be okay you know, camping out and capitalizing, let's say, off DeJounte Murray's driving kicks uh, or pick and roll passes uh, with Clint Capella? I mean, I think I can see him capitalizing on that a little bit. I mean, he shot 38% from the floor over overall from three. I mean, I have to go back and look at his catch and shoot numbers. But, I mean, he's only, what, he's only 24. I mean, yeah. I don't know if we've seen all of the things that Trey Young can do just because of what the Hawks have kind of put in front of him to roll out every night with. I I think that 
you know, Trey is a very, very smart player. I think that the way that he looks at the game, I think he's probably really excited to have somebody that he can play off the ball with. Um, I don't know if he had that before. So I don't think we've even gotten a chance to see it yet, if I'm being honest. I think that's why I can't picture it. because we Yeah, exactly. And, and when you go back and look, through his career in the league, like he has never ranked uh, lower than ninth in the percentage of his field goals made that go unassisted among mm -hmm. high volume. So like he's very much been just so central to the offense. And I just, mm -hmm. I can't picture it. I want to see it. I'm just curious whether it works because he does have, yeah, as a shooter, but like if you want him either setting screens or coming around screens, like he is slight in frame. And so I'm wondering yeah. if that hampers him at all, but I, I want to see it. I think I'm just less sure of it than clearly Atlanta is with the fit but between those two. For sure. And, and I mean, I think you can, you can rely on the abilities of, as we mentioned, Clint Capella, but also you, I mean, John Collins is, is a pretty big guy that they can use to set those screens for Trey if they need to. And I mean, De I'm sure maybe even DeAndre, I mean, they, they do have potential. I mean, I think they have enough height in the front court that they can try and, and utilize it to their advantage. But again, it's, it's hard to see just because we haven't haven't seen it yet but I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if if Trey has the capability to do it uh you did make me a little bit more confident it was something you said about Murray's rim pressure and yeah. I committed to memory I know that Trey Young led the league and assists at the rim last year and so I looked it up really quickly yeah Murray was 10th and so yeah. now you have like two of these top 10 guys at creating looks at the rim on a team that has Onyeka Okongwu mm -hmm. Clint Capella and John Collins on it uh, so you made me feel a little bit better about this <laughs> offensive fit, or at least the dynamic on offense, even if they're staggering with these two yeah. guards. Agreed. And I mean, we also have to remember there's also bogey as well. So he is somebody I feel like that they can shift up to the three if necessary and, you know, add a little bit more size in terms of if they're going to go small ball. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll yeah, see. <laughs> I'm going to be disappointed and I'll ask about this later, but if they don't roll out like any WTF lineups that catch me off guard <laughs> this season, I'm going to be a little bit disappointed when looking at this roster. <laughs> I feel like that's, isn't that something that Nate likes to do is like what, what the, what the heck lineups. Yeah. I mean, the, he also does a lot of stuff where it's like, well, why did he even try? Yeah. I mean, yeah. so he, with the personnel at his disposal, if they're fully healthy, I could see him getting a little weird. A little uh, I listened to a podcast. You had Vince Ellis on your podcast uh -huh. uh, and you guys touched upon this a little bit, but are you just surprised that John Collins is still on this team? He was painted as this just like goner entering, yeah. the, entering the off season yet. He's still here. Like he's still in Atlanta. I think at first, I was a little bit surprised. I'm not going to lie. Um, just because of what he could have potentially brought them back. Um, but the more I think about it, it's like it shouldn't be surprising, especially because they went out and got Murray. And then from what I saw when I watched that one game uh, at the crossover Pro-Am, I was, I was pretty happy with what I saw with the early chemistry that those three guys were building. I mean, you had Trey passing to John, you had DeJounte passing to John, you had Trey passing to DeJounte to passing to John. I mean, it, it just showed that there's so much that these three guys can be as the Hawks big three. And then when you factor in a guy like DeAndre, if, if they do decide to, you know, offer him his rookie extension, um, I, I think the sky's the limit with this team, if I'm being honest. 
I'm not surprised that he's still here to go I, back to your original. Right. When you and you when you really think about it, it was all the rumors tied to him were like, oh, Hawks get picks for John Collins. It's like, no, the Hawks aren't trying to get picks. They're trying to get better. And exactly. so why would you be divesting this player into picks? I do wonder though, because he he was pretty open about like wanting a more expansive offensive role. Mm-hmm. Does now adding another ball dominant guard to the equation complicate his uh, you know place in the offense at all? Like he's I think he's underrated because his offense is, and mm-hmm. our listeners make fun of me because I say it all the time with him, is so scalable. Just like mm-hmm. someone who went from being used as the primary screener to playing with Clint Capella and being able to, you know, show it off a little bit of his floor game, but knock down threes off the catch. That's just, you can't just throw that away. Like, that's a yeah. really good player. So I think he's underrated. But for someone who wants maybe a more prominent role within the offense, I am mm-hmm. curious as to whether the Hawks have complicated his place in the pecking order with this, with the Murray move specifically. I I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so just because the fact that you have both Murray and Trey who can go out and get you 20 points a night if you needed them to, that's going to just take a lot of those opposing teams, best defenders off of John, which will, in my opinion, free him up to, to be, to be John. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I just, I think that especially if you're going to be staggering Trey and Murray's minutes, you can also stagger John so that he does have a little bit more more responsibility in mm-hmm. in the Hawks' offense if you need him to. Um, you know, they're going to put a premium on shooting and and I believe John is a very capable shooter. So, I mean, you don't tra- I, I I think because they traded away Kevin Herter who was one of their high volume shooters last season that does put a little bit more responsibility on, on uh, John and DeAndre, just because Murray doesn't have that same strength as they do. And I mean, if, if the Hawks are going to continue to be one of the top shooting teams in the league, they're going to need John to be able to, to do that. Now, if he's trying to be the guy that attacks the basket a little bit more then yes, I think that does complicate things a little bit, but if they're shifting his role to kind of be the guy that stretches the floor then no, I don't, I don't think it complicates things. And he's probably someone that when Trey's off the court and you have Murray on the floor, you almost just want to tie him to those minutes because him and Murray make so much sense together because Murray does have like, he has a little bit of a mid range game and the rim mm-hmm. pressure, but like he's very much TBD to put it kindly as a shooter yes. overall. And <laughs> I was also wondering if, if having someone like Murray and if Hunter's healthy and you can add more resistance at mm-hmm. the point of the attack in the perimeter, if it makes more sense then like when Capella's not on the floor, like you do have a Kung Wu, but mm-hmm. maybe John Collins logs a little bit more time as the backup center during those minutes, because you don't, I think he's come a long way defensively. Mm-hmm. I don't think you want him as your primary backline defender. No. I also think that that maybe doesn't matter as much if you're putting both Hunter and Murray in the lineup with him now. I agree. And I mean, we also haven't even factored in where Kaminsky is going to fit into this. So, I mean, if you have Kaminsky as the five, John is, you know, the guy who's the four, I mean, maybe that does also free up that opportunity for him to be the guy that attacks the rim. The other polarizing player on this team, aside from John Collins is Deandre Hunter. Do you have any sense of how this team values him or or would you even hazard as to, do you think he gets an extension? Does he not get an extension? I think the fact that we're one month away from that deadline, it's not, it, it, it doesn't bode well, in my opinion. Um, I think that if they wanted to, they would give him the number, I guess, that he's looking for. But 
they haven't. I mean, I think the, the reason why is just because he hasn't been able to stay on the floor as consistently as they need him to. And if you're going to be paying a guy big money, then you need him to stay on the floor. Um, but I do think they value what he brings to the table. And um, I don't know. I just haven't gotten a sense yet of whether or not they're going to give him what he's looking for. If I'm being honest, I've, I've asked, but you know, nobody's, nobody's singing. <laughs> yeah. And when you bill someone as a three and D wing, like the dollar signs are there just seeing mm-hmm. what, you know, there's the higher end of what Mikhail Bridges got, even what OG Ananobi got. Yeah. I have definitely not seen enough from like Hunter at either end uh, at this point, if he can have a fully healthy season where he's, you know, keeping his three point percentage, but taking mm-hmm. more than, you know, 3.7 attempts per game. Like, can he up that to five plus? Maybe you feel a little bit more confident investing in him. This feels like for the Hawks, it's better for them to wait and see just because of how topsy-turvy his first three years have been. I agree. And if I'm, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not certain that many players in his draft class have gotten their their rookie extensions yet, like the Cam Johnsons and... And, the, and yeah, the, like the non-max guys are still just floating around. Unless you're RJ Barrett, like the non-max guys are just still floating around out there predominantly. Exactly. So. And and he I guess where he is right now, he's still considered kind of a role player. So it doesn't exactly make sense for them to completely and totally throw the bag at him if he hasn't completely, I guess, molded into the role that they're looking for him to mold into, especially if he can't stay on the floor. Clint Capella had I'll call it a weird 21 22 uh there was injuries baked in I thought he played a lot better from like the middle of the season on when you were looking at how he was moving defensively but then Mm -hmm. he finishes the season with a right knee issue and then there was just something off about Mm -hmm. him on offense last year it felt like should expectations be tempered is there reason for concern here with him or is it just he's if he's going to be healthy like he'll just be fine I honestly think that Clint is the type of guy that if he's healthy, he'll be fine. Just looking at his numbers, I mean, he was steadily improving, you know, up until right before Houston traded him. And then when he got to Atlanta and had, you know, that fresh scenery, he kind of got back into things. And and I think also, if you think about how the Hawks kind of were at the beginning of last year, they were just kind of a little lackluster if you if you will and then things picked up when he picked up and so I think if he can be that guy that the Hawks need him to be I think I honestly think he'll be just fine and when I say the guy that they need him to be it's healthy it's attacking the rim being the lob threat that we know that he can be especially when he's paired up with Trey and I think the fact that they added in Murray to that adds another layer that will maybe even you know make him even more of a threat I am curious to see how like if they run a ton of pick and rolls with Murray and Capella, just how that looks because Murray's such a different player Mm -hmm. from Trey young that I could see them, him and Capella not trying to occupy the same space, but like those pick and rolls, like shrink the floor just a little bit more than they'd be used to. And so I am curious to see how that ends up working out for Atlanta. You know, I think that they're going to go through that adjustment period. And I think we're going to see a lot of, Ooh, what was that uh, at the beginning of the year? But Again, I think that the Hawks are the kind of team that surprises people. I mean, we saw them make that run to the Eastern Conference Finals a couple of years ago. And so with Nate at the helm, I think, you know, and also we're not even factoring, I just remembered, they added in Kyle Korver. So the fact that we have another type of player who, or not a player anymore, (laughs) I'm sorry, um, 
the fact that we have another layer of a person who's helping to develop this team, uh, I think that they'll be fine. I'm I'm not too worried. I think if it goes past 20, 25 games, that's when we should kind of start to to wondering if wonder if this is really gonna fit. But I, I think that we do need to give them that chance to adjust, especially since you threw so many new pieces mm-hmm. at this roster. Um, but I think that if everyone is healthy, we won't have that kind of like stop and go, uh, injecting new people into the lineup, taking new people out of the lineup. I think there will be some steady flow to them being able to, to adjust and get used to each other a little bit faster. I am in love with Onyeko Kongu. Uh, he defensive mobility off the charts, but when you watch him on offense and I think people just kind of pigeonhole him into that traditional big man role, I just, he's like flipped up floaters. He's made these Mm -hmm. decisions after making one or two dribbles. I'm fascinated by him. How is he, how do you see him, him being used this year? He is clearly the third big up on this team behind Capella and Collins. When you look at the roster, I would Mm -hmm. think. Uh, but are his minutes inherently repressed at all because we should see Collins play some backup five as well? Or is this someone that the Hawks are, he's dealt with injuries too through mm-hmm. his first two seasons. Is this someone they're really kind of ready to cut loose so they can see how he fits in long-term with them? You know, I kind of disagree just a little bit with him being behind Collins. I think they're actually going to try and keep Collins a little bit more in his natural position at the four, and that will leave minutes open for for, for Onyeka to be the backup five to, to Capella, just because, I mean, I think the fact that they added in Murray, again, they have more size in that starting lineup. So mm-hmm. it I think it will trickle down to the that second unit. I think that it won't, you won't need <laughs> Collins to be that backup five, if you will. I think in the past that they've kind of been pigeonholed into that just because they haven't had a serviceable big that they can use as a backup to Capella. I mean, not to crap on uh, Jiang from last season, but I mean, he, I don't think he was the type of player that they needed, but now that they have Okongo and see, and, and they've seen that he is capable of keeping pace with a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo and, and, and that he can keep pace with Joel Embiid. I think that gives them a little bit more confidence that he can be the guy who, is the backup to Capella, leaving Collins to kind of stay in his natural position at the four. So I think that's kind of how we'll see them let him loose a little bit more and how he'll earn his minutes a bit more, especially because we saw that, I'm just looking up what he shot last year. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but he shot 69% from the field last year. So, I mean, that tells me that he's a very reliable guy who can, one, go and get shots, especially as a lob threat, but two, he can go out, get offensive reboards, and I mean, rebounds, excuse me. And they talked a lot with him about making sure that he is being that guy on the defensive end as well. And he seems like the type of guy that he will put in the work for that. I mean, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, and he seemed like the type of person that was working really hard, making sure that he he met all of the, the kind of thresholds that they set out for him this offseason on both the offensive as well as the defensive end. And I guess it makes sense to play him and Collins maybe even more together than they did last season. They played Capella was out for a good amount of time. So they played mm-hmm. some together, but not as much as you'd think. Is that a pairing that you think the Hawks are willing to explore more than in the front court with Collins and Okungu? I think they're intrigued by it, especially because what Capella's contract is up at the end of this coming season. Correct. 
Uh, he signed an extension, so he has two more guaranteed years after this one left on his deal. God, that's right. Um, so, I mean, if I think if Capella has a season like he did last year, I think the fact that, you know, they liked what they saw from Okongu could maybe give them the assurance that they need to move on from Capella if they don't want to keep that money on the books and maybe find some kind of deal to bring in somebody else to be the backup to a Kongu. What's also interesting to me about this roster, if you look at it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. are they just counting on Jalen Johnson for rotation minutes this year when you're looking at sort of the, like, who's who would be there? You mentioned Kaminsky. If, you're, if your first three bigs are Capella, Collins, and Okongwu, mm-hmm. I have Johnson penciled in as like that fourth if you're floating around between the four or five, but there is Kaminsky oh, on the roster as you... So they're just counting on Jalen Johnson this year to be a, ro- a rotation player. I I would think so. Um, you know, he when they brought him in toward the end of the season, I mean, he showed that he did belong in the NBA. I mean, I think in his first game out, he he got like 11 points or something like that, which is obviously a career high for him after spending much of the time in the G League. So I think maybe what might hamper him a little bit is he did have uh, a non-surgical procedure this offseason. So maybe they'll bring him along a little bit more slowly and Kaminsky will be that guy who might be the backup for. But in my, if I'm looking at the roster, I think Jalen Johnson is that guy that, you know, they're going to see if he will have that breakout sophomore season, kind of similar to Okongu. I mean, he missed the first 28 games last year, Okongu did. And I mean, we saw how he rose to the occasion and did what was needed, especially in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're banking on Jalen Johnson being that guy who, now that he's had one year in the NBA under his belt and he's gotten a taste of it, you know, he he understands the speed of the game. Things are slowing down for him. You know, he's he's poised to have, in my opinion, a, a breakout sophomore season. I He is someone that, I really liked when they they drafted him and uh I think that he is if he can hit like some standstill corner threes which he could not do last year <laughs> even just standstill threes at all uh it becomes big and like he's a pretty good mm-hmm. finisher around the basket he can be moved around so much on the defensive end that I like the idea of mm-hmm. being able to just plug him into the rotation uh it was just I guess surprising to me that given the direction the Hawks are headed and how little he played last year. And he had this game it was towards the end of the season against the Warriors, where it was like mm-hmm. kind of wow, but it's yeah. how do you factor in that late season noise? I guess I was a little surprised that this is sort of where they ended up. And maybe it doesn't matter because your first mm-hmm. three bigs are so good and you can cannibalize most of the front court minutes between those mm-hmm. three. Uh, but it was, it's an interesting dice roll. If, if that's the plan, I respect it. I like it. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious to see whether it'll work. I mean, again, this team is a very young team. I mean, your leader is under the age of 25. But I think that's one of the reasons that they brought a guy like Kyle Korver aboard is that, you know, he's going to be tasked with developing this roster, not just those rookie players, sophomore players, but also from the top down. So if you're bringing in a guy who was considered one of, you know, an elite sharpshooter, I think that will trickle down to this this group of guys who may have struggled to to knock some shots down, especially if they're doing it from, as you mentioned, a standstill catch and shoot kind of kind of position. Something about their offseason that I don't think got enough attention was the Kevin Herter trade. Uh, <laughs> it was just looked at, oh, they got a Kings first round pick and Justin Holiday and Mo Harkless can kind of plug mm-hmm. into uh, the rotation if need be I guess you could go to Harkless instead of Jalen Johnson if you're looking for that fourth big or just someone to play backup for 
Uh, I'd prefer to see Jalen Johnson over Mo Harkless. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, but is there like some risk caked in here, especially knowing that Bogdanovich is dealt? He's so good. And there were minutes without Trey Young where he really anchored what were actually good lineups. And I know that one of the biggest talking points has been, oh, the, the Hawks suck when Trey Young isn't on the floor. Because mm-hmm. one, it's true, but like there were lineups that worked in part because Bogdanovich is so good. But he's also like he dealt with some knee things last year, and he's always seemed like banged up since he's really been with Atlanta. So is there just a little bit of extra risk caked in here with that move? Or did they view it as, oh, well, we really needed to flesh out kind of the wing rotation anyway. And that's why we went with the Justin Holiday Harkless first round pick combo. I think so. I think, yes, they they realize that they might be sacrificing some shooting a little bit, but I think the fact that they were like, we were so bad defensively. Like that's, that's what got us chased off the court in the first round of the playoffs. I think, you know, there, there, there is going to be that expectation that you're going to be leaning on guys like Justin holiday to maybe get a few more shots up. But I mean, Justin holiday has shown that he is somewhat capable of being the guy that they can rely on to get those shots. I mean, he's a, a career 36, 37% shooter. I mean, it's not necessarily on the highest of volume, but it's at least at least five attempts per game. And so, you know, I, I think maybe, yes, Holiday is a little bit of that, like, kind of locker room guy that a lot of teams flesh their, their rosters out with. But he adds so much, I think, in terms of being the person that can kind of, again, trickle down defense rub off on the rest Mm -hmm. of the guys which is what they need and so you know I guess they're banking on bogey's off-season surgery to help make sure that that knee holds up throughout the whole season I guess they're also banking on maybe Murray being able to knock down you know one or two shots a game three shots a game from from three um they also have DeAndre Hunter and I think as we talked about earlier in this podcast they're going to probably be banking on him to knock a couple more down Um, so I think that just kind of tells you that they have a lot more faith in Hunter, a lot more faith in Murray Mm -hmm. to be able to be those guys that they need them to be not just on the defensive end, but from a long range position. And I guess I'm, I didn't really even think about this. I'm probably discounting like Hunter can play Mm -hmm. some four and holiday Mm -hmm. played some four while he was with Indy. And it's like, you can do holiday Hunter as like your three, four and make that work where it's, it's not as tenable when Kevin Herter is in that equation because he was, he was like very much felt like a one position player to me. Like that's swing man. He's not like a three and you're clearly not going to play him at the one. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was a, I guess not a curious trade. I was just, I was a little bit surprised. It is, but I also think too, it's that, I mean, I'm not saying that they're going to be relying on Harkless either, or even Kaminsky, but both of those guys can be moved down from their natural positions and, and play whether it's three, four um, in, in Harkless's, in Harkless's case, and then Kaminsky can play the four or five. So, you know, they added a little bit of versatility in that sense as well. And and from early reports, it does seem like they're going to be relying a little bit on Kaminsky to kind of be that shift between the four and the five, which is why I don't believe that they're going to be relying on Collins for that. Um, Just because they'll have him do what he does best in that starting rotation. um, And then also throughout the rest of the game, whereas, you know, again, they'll rely on some of their other depth players to be kind of those 
shifts up and down as they see fit. But we have media day tomorrow, so we're actually going to be able to get a little bit more clarification, hopefully, on how they see um, these guys shifting throughout the season uh, based on what they need, based on the matchups that they have, based on, I mean, I guess where people are injury-wise, health-wise, and, and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, one thing that's funny, is it's not funny, actually, but we still have, I'm sorry, I just, I remembered that we're talking about, you know, a virus that's still going around is that there's still COVID. So even though people may not necessarily have injuries, we still have to factor in that we're still kind of dealing with COVID. I mean, right. I, I, I think that because the league has kind of, you know, taken a step back in terms of what the protocols are, that's still a factor that, you know, teams will have to worry about. So I, I, I think, I, I think we'll see, but to go back to what we were talking about earlier, um, you know, I think that the fact that they did sign those guys, as you mentioned, Harkless, uh, Holiday, and the fact that they can shift and, and be versatile guys, I, I think that's kind of what they were banking on when they decided to move Herder to, to the Kings. Uh, when you do look at, now that we've sort of talked about the roster in some, the... The, the two prevailing themes from the Hawks, like I mentioned before, are they mm-hmm. suck when Trey Young's not on the floor mm-hmm. and their defense was really bad last year. When you yeah. look at this roster as it is constructed while we're talking, which mm-hmm. of those weaknesses are they better built to improve upon this season? To be honest, I, I do genuinely think that they went out and got that secondary ball handler that they were missing last year. I, I really think that Murray kind of, I mean, it's a little bit of a one-two punch, but I don't think the defense is going to get overnight just because you added in one guy who is a monster on the defensive end of of the court. But the fact that he's a guy that can go out and get you 20.1 points a game, uh, the fact that he can get you nine plus assists per game, um, I think that's one of the biggest things that they solved. So it takes a lot of the pressure off of Trey Young to be the guy who who goes out and gets offense going when it starts to stagnate. And I think the fact that we talked about it again so much, the fact that Murray likes to attack the rim, he he he's going to, I think, really start to pick up the pace for the Hawks. And I don't think defenses are going to fully know how to shut that down um, when, when Young is sitting down and when Murray's on the court, especially if you're pairing him with a guy like Bogey and Bogey's healthy. Um, especially if you're pairing him with a guy like, you know, we talked a little bit about him, uh, DeAndre Hunter. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I just, I think that that was one of, the, as we said, the biggest needs that they had. And I think that they totally addressed that. Um, I think that we're going to see that like the young minutes are going to be a lot. I don't think we're going to see, uh, I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but I don't no, think we're going to see as much of a drop off in terms of the offense when Trey Young sits because Murray is a far and beyond capable primary shot maker, play caller. Um, I think he's going to be the best quote unquote quarterback that they're going to have when Young isn't on the floor with them. And I'm 100% with you last year when, when DeLon Wright and uh, bogey were on the court. The Hawks were actually a net plus without mm-hmm. Trey Young. And so now you're going from DeLon Wright 
to DeJounte Murray. Mm-hmm. I think that matters a ton. And maybe there's maybe there's a drop off offensively there just because mm-hmm. those units were so good offensively. But as you mentioned, like Murray, especially with the way he played in San Antonio last year, brings that push the ball element. And mm-hmm. he's a better defender than DeLon Wright. And so he elevates those units organically too. And I also just think it's tougher. While I do believe that someone like Murray was close to a necessity for their defense, it's harder for him to materially impact the overall defense because a lot of people believe that like guard defense doesn't matter. I don't Mm -hmm. really fall into that camp, but I do think it's inherently harder to shift the tenor of an entire defense from that position. And so Hunter and Capella's health, and then even Collins, like those are Mm -hmm. guys and how they handle the backup wing rotation. Those are aspects to me that are going to have a larger, make a larger dent on the defense. Mm -hmm. And so if you just have Murray in the non trade minutes with bogey, there are some of those units that they might win you games because the yeah. way that they're able to handle or navigate the minutes without your best player on the court. And so I'm just, I'm totally with you that I think they've addressed that more than, more than even the defense. And I actually think too, one player that we haven't talked about is their rookie Tyrese Martin. I'm not saying that Nate McMillan is going to be throwing like 20 plus minutes at Tyrese Martin, but I think that what we saw, you know, as he got more and more comfortable during summer league, to me, that shows that, he could probably be a capable player in that third unit. Maybe when, you know, you have bogey and, and Murray off the court and you, and you need a guy who's going to be a dog on defense to, to kind of continue pushing that side of the ball forward. I don't think, as we said, I don't think they've totally addressed everything. I, I, I'm not sure how much of an impact, you know, Harkless and, and Holiday's leadership will have on, on trickling down. I, I, I want to see it trickle down a lot, um, but I, I think it's kind of an uphill battle to kind of change a team's defense like 100% overnight. I think one thing that kind of concerned me a tiny bit is when I did get a chance to talk to Coach McMillan after they hired uh, Mike Longabardi this past offseason is that he said that you know, Longabardi didn't necessarily believe in in zone. He believed in in man to man. And I'm kind of wondering, are they going to be doing a little bit more versatility throughout the season? Because you can't rely solely on man to man. Because I feel like if you have a, a defender who's not up to snuff, that guy's going to get burned, and and it's going to crumble the rest of the unit. So we'll see. You know what changes they made especially because Longabardi was with the Kings and I believe they were what like 29 or 30 last year so I mean I don't know we'll we'll see <laughs> is all I can kind of I guess conclude from that wait and see <laughs> uh I mean that sort of leads into an interesting question of what do you think like the a 10-man rotation looks like for this team since we've talked about everyone I think there's there are the givens like we have Trey mm-hmm. DeJounte Collins Capella Hunter bogey mm-hmm. and a Kongu. And so that's seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you see those final three spots shaking out? I know we've mentioned Justin Holiday, Jalen Johnson. You mentioned mm-hmm. Tyrese Martin. Do you think even AJ Griffin is someone who gets a crack if he's healthy? Just, I, I didn't mention this before, but I was wondering if he was part of the theory of moving Kevin Herter is that you think you have this other knockdown shooter in AJ. Griffin? Yeah. I mean, he shot 40% or like 44% from three at Duke. Um, let me double check that. <laughs> But if you have a guy that's shooting over 40% from three, I feel like that will add a little bit of confidence to move the guy who's shooting close to 40% in the NBA. Um, I think where the Hawks were a little bit hesitant with him is that they wanted to see him kind of unpack a few other skill sets in his game. Like, can he be the guy that 
attacks the rim a little bit? Can he be the guy that knocks shots down from mid range? I mean, you know, he, we didn't get a chance to see him at summer league because he was dealing with some foot soreness. So if, if health is going to be something that's going to be a consistent worry for this team, I mean, I don't know how much you're going to be able to rely on him to be that knockdown shooter if he can't even go on the court. But um, I do think that played a role in, in their decision to move on from her because they were like, Hey, at least we know if he, he gets a catch and shoot shot, he can knock it down. So um, I think also Tyrese Martin played a little bit of that. I mean, he knocked down, I believe, like 36% of his shots from three. So, I mean, I guess if you're adding a couple of rookies who you know can can be those knockdown shooters, I, I think that adds a little bit of confidence to this front office. And again, I don't want to put too much on Kyle Korver, but I think the fact that he's going to be in charge of player development will will play a role in, in, in seeing how fast these guys come along and if they are going to be NBA ready when the season tips off um, in, a, in a few weeks. So if you were sort of fleshing out, like the let's say the final three of their rotation and you're dealing mm-hmm. with A.J. Griffin's healthy, you have Tyrese Martin, there's Mo mm-hmm. Harkless, Holiday, Jalen Johnson, and Frank Kaminsky. Like who are the mm-hmm. three players from that group that you see this team needing to rely on most? So I'll probably actually say Aaron Holiday just for his ball. Forgot about ability. him too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> two of the so, Holiday brothers. Forgot yeah, about that. exactly. So I'll probably say him just because they're going to need that, that third ball handler when Murray and, and Trey Young are off the floor. Um, but I think I'm going to, so, so that puts us at eight. So I think the final two spots, I think we'll probably go to Kaminsky, especially if he's healthy. Um, and then one more spot. I think probably Justin Holiday would make the most sense, right? Like that yes. seems like a guy. Who I think he would play. be the, that backup. I think he would be that backup three to Hunter. Uh, that I'm that the the bottom of their rotation is going to be something that I just monitor all season because it when I was trying to come up with ten, I, it was just confusing the hell. Yeah, me. and I, I wouldn't be surprised if that maybe is something that they considered rotating from, you know quarter to quarter and when I say quarter to quarter I mean like within the season not within each individual game what's one thing about this team that's not being talked enough about on a national level whether it's an element a player the way that they're Mm going to play any anything along those lines hmm you know I think I think all of the concerns questions and and worries that people might have about this team are actually being talked about pretty pretty plenty. I think the biggest question that people have is how Murray and and Trey Young are going to coexist and I think that's appropriate if I'm being honest just because they're both such different players. They're both used to being the guy on their teams. And so especially with how this Eastern Conference setup is set up now being so competitive, you've got Mitchell in there, you've got the Nets kind of having their core pretty much set between KD and Kyrie and Ben Simmons. Um, I mean, Boston, despite them losing their head coach for the season, will still be, you know, a threat. You've got Milwaukee, who pretty much stay the same and add, added a few things. I think, I think the everything that we need to talk about this team is on the table and and appropriately so. So if I were going to add a storyline that people should 
maybe keep an eye on is is maybe how will how will well how will this team kind of start the season off, especially because of how lackluster they were last year. Um, you know, will the defense click? Will will they overperform? Will they perform as we should expect them to? I think I think that's what we need to talk about a little bit more. Is is the start of this Hawks season and and not just you know the addition of Murray to the to the roster. I mean, I think whether they meet expectations is what's going to kind of set them up for being a team that's in the playoff conversation as opposed to being a playing team or out of the out of the postseason conversation altogether. Uh, I think the assumption is that their starting five is going to be Murray, Young, Hunter, Collins, and Capella. Do you think mm-hmm. that ends up being their go-to crunch time unit, or could you see some futzing and fiddling towards the end of close games? And obviously some of that could be matchup dependent, but just sort of yeah. in general. I, I could see Bogey being somebody that they throw in in crunch time just because of his ability to knock down shots as you know consistently as they need the the the, the team to do in those situations. Um, I mean, Trey and, and DeJounte are both players who perform amazingly in, in clutch time and Bogey's in that group as well. I mean, he was somebody that averaged, I believe, like two point six points per game in clutch situations. So that's somebody that they're going to want to turn to. I mean, Hunter wasn't even on the list, if I'm being honest, when I looked yesterday. So I'll, I'll double check that. But I don't think he was on there at all. Um, so I think that it's oh. It looks like uh, the Hawks just, I got some breaking news. The Hawks are adding a, their last training camp spot, Armani Brooks, just in case you wanted to know that. Exhibit Ooh, Armani 10. Brooks. Yeah, Exhibit 10. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just, I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if Hunter and Bogey are, are players that they kind of punch in, trade out, depending on mm-hmm. what they need. Um, if they need you know, DeAndre's length a little bit more on the defensive end. That's somebody that they can rely on. And if they need a bit a, a bit of a more consistent shooter, then then bogey is something that they can absolutely rely on. But I definitely agree on kind of like both other ends of the of the lineup with Collins and Capella being kind of like the two go-to front court guys and obviously Murray and Trey being the backcourt guys. That three spot I think will be a little bit more interchangeable. I'd be with you. And like the three and the four, if they really wanted to, if they want to go with Hunter and bogey and downs. Mm-hmm. So is there a weird lineup that you would like to see from this team? Just looking at the yeah. personnel that they have. I think a weird lineup that I would want to see, and this is really, really, I don't think it's actually that weird, but I, I kind of would want to see obviously Trey, obviously DeJounte bogey. Uh, I kind of want to see, what Okongu would be like at the four. Okay. And then maybe either Collins or Capella. That would be so fun. That, yeah. So you kind of have Capella and, and uh, Okongu kind of shifting between the four and the five a little bit, or same with um, if you're using Collins and definitely you have Okongu and Collins kind of sharing four and five duties and how that, how that would kind of, kind of work. The one I want to see, I'm pretty sure might be terrible on offense <laughs> or be iffy, but like I would love to see Trey Murray um, with Hunter, Jalen Johnson, and Okungwu 
to see mm. like, oh, could we actually try and switch as much as possible in a lineup that has Trey Young defensively? I would have questions about the offense in that one, but when I think like just weirdo lineups, I would love to see Nate McMillan just to try that, throw it out, <laughs> see if it sticks. I don't know why you would ever want to have Capella and Collins on the bench right. at the same time, uh, but if one of them is injured or mm-hmm. just out for a game, I'd love to see that lineup. I'm just morbid. I think curious. that would be kind of, I think that would be fun. What if we went with like an all just like young players lineup where it's, uh, I mean, I guess Trey, cause you definitely need a guard, like a, a point guard. Um, Martin, just because again, he's, he, he has the potential to be a player on a great player on both sides of the, I'm going to aggregate ball. this segment of how high you are in Tyree smart. Future <laughs> superstar Tyree smart. <laughs> no, don't do that. Uh, you'll see me on freezing cold takes in like five years or something like that. Um, no, but I am pretty high on him just because I was pretty impressed. He had a really crappy game in that first summer league, uh, in that first summer league matchup that they had with the jazz. And obviously you don't want to take too much away from summer league, but he just got better and better and better in each of the games that they played. And I, it's just hard for me not to be high on a guy and root for him, especially because when you learn of his story, um, he was a guy that worked for FedEx as a driver and a warehouse Mm guy um during the pandemic because his mom lost his her job and so it's it's hard not to root for a guy that works that hard you know right right so yeah so then griffin uh jalen johnson and okong would just throw all the young guys in there trey's the only veteran um that has more than you know three years of experience in the league and see how that goes We've come a long way from the original all youth lineup where it was Trey and Collins and Reddish and Herder and, and Hunter. Uh, so yeah. how much this team has changed. So as we record this, though, their over under is set mm-hmm. at 45.5 wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you take the over or the under on that right now? You know, I I don't know. I just feel like the Hawks are a team that always surprises you just because of how young and hungry they are. And so I'm going to go ahead and take the over on 45.5. Um, I just think that obviously they didn't fix all of their defensive issues, but I think that the fact that they're still going to be a top offense in this league is, is going to be something that kind of bails them out of situations where obviously you'd want them to be better defensively, but they're scoring so many points that it kind of offsets any of the other issues that they might have on the other end of the ball or the other side of the ball. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of with you. I'll have to go back like closer to the start of the regular season and see if I would still have them as the over because the <laughs> East is just so deep so at the top. Deep. Oh my god! Now, but if when you look at their top, let's say top seven guys on this team, if mm-hmm. they're not on pace for 46 wins at like 20 games into the season, like I could see there being some upheaval with oh the roster gosh. at that point. Not even just upheaval with the roster, but maybe even just like yeah, Nate McMillan, staff, yeah. like. There, there's another issue that's going on that needs to be addressed that I don't think has to do with anything that's going on on the court. Yeah, if they're if they get off to like a four and seven start or something like the there's gonna be so much noise emanating out of there. Oh my I, goodness! I yeah. honestly don't think it's going to happen this year. Last year was a demonstrative letdown. I think expectations mm-hmm. were set too high based off mm-hmm. that conference finals appearance. But looking at the the makeup of their roster right now, I do think that they're probably one of the top six teams in the East to get that surefire playoff spot. So mm-hmm. I would go with 
the over as well. But I'm wildly uncomfortable saying that just because of how I know, many, me like, too. the first, like the top eight teams in the East could all be really good. I don't trust Brooklyn, Ex- but like you look yeah. at Brooklyn and it's, and it's like, oh, like they could just be this title contender that's just there. It's exactly. I'm with you on that too. It's like logically, I shouldn't say that they're going to get more than 46 wins in the upcoming season, but I don't know. It's just, I guess maybe three when they were like pretty depressing for a lot yeah. of that season. And so like <laughs> the Murray trade and like if Okungwu is healthy and Capella yeah. is healthy, like that should be worth an extra four wins. I think. Oh, I agree. And I, I think too, if Capella is healthy and, and playing at the level that we've, know that he should be playing at. I think that gives you a little bit of comfort that they should get at least 46, 47 wins. <laughs> Is there anything about this team or anyone on this team I haven't asked you about that you, you think we need to touch upon before I let you go? I, you know, not really, just because I feel like we've touched on the people who are going to be the major players next season. And barring any any like injuries or anything like I just knocked on my table by the way (laughs) barring any injuries or anything like that I I really think that this this team can can be one that surprises people especially if you know we continue to see any other upheaval in the eastern conference based on what happened today so um yeah I think I think this is going to be a fun season, maybe frustrating season at times, but it certainly will be an exciting one. Lauren, this was great. Are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you and all the great work that you're doing? Yeah. So you guys can find me at AJC.com slash Hawks or slash uh, Lauren dash Williams. But also, obviously, my Twitter handle is at Williams Lauren L. Spelled exactly as it sounds. And if you're watching, you see it on the screen. So hit that follow button. She's a fantastic follow. She's already killing the Hawks beat. I'm excited to see uh, all the stuff you write about this season. Thank you so much for coming on uh, the podcast. I hope you allow me to pester you again in the future. I mean, the fact that you put up with all of my rambling for the last like 45 minutes shows that, you know, I feel like we'll have some we'll continue to have some good conversations yes it was way more it was it was coherent way more coherent than you think and as a fellow (laughs) rambler i can appreciate it so thank you once again so much for for coming on and i will i will talk to you soon all right thank you